you were here Thanksgiving Day a few weeks ago, you might remember that we talked about um, choosing thankful. I choose thankful. And I experienced that this morning as I was sitting in the 830 service, and the rain was pouring down around. And I remember it came back to mind the number that for every inch of rain, it equals 10 inches of snow. And I thought, I sure am thankful that I'm not shoveling this. So it's a beautiful day, and uh, it's probably going to be a perfect day for the live nativity. They say the weather's going to be about 60 degrees, the rain is supposed to stay away. It'll be the warmest live, live nativity that you'll ever get to go to. So if you haven't come before to that, come and check it out this afternoon. Um, bring a friend, bring a neighbor. It'll be a perfect year to do that, as long as the rain stays away. But we're going to do it rain or shine. So come on over this afternoon and experience that tonight. Sunday mornings for Advent, we are working our way through the sounds of Christmas, through the sounds of Jesus' birth, hearing the echoes of the manger as they echo throughout all of history and they echo into our lives. Right? And we have to remember that this manger, this Christmas that we celebrate, carries a message. It really shouts a message from God to this world that he loves to you, to me, the people that he loves. And we're working our way through the messages that, that this manger shouts from, from the end to the beginning. So last Sunday, if you were here, we heard the echo of the cross. We heard the echo of the empty tomb already as we just started celebrating the manger. Right? We need to have the end of the story in mind as we start off at the beginning of the story. We need to hear the echoes of his death. We need the echoes of his resurrection at his birth. Otherwise, we miss the whole point, don't we? If, we? if we just stop with Christmas, if we just stop with the manger. So we celebrate Christmas in the context of the cross. And we celebrate his birth only as we remember and celebrate his resurrection birth as well. So we started last week by linking together the beginning and the end, the manger and the cross. This week, we don't miss the middle of the story. Right? If the beginning and the end was all that really mattered, then, then the gospel stories in this book, you know, the, the people who wrote about Jesus' life, they could be a lot shorter than they are, right? Just give us his birth and then take us right to the cross. Skip everything in the middle. Well, that's not what they do. We get to read a whole lot about Jesus' life, about what it was like, about what he did, about what he said, about how he grew. We get to hear echoes of Jesus' life reverberating all throughout history. You see, that tells us clearly that God is not only concerned about the beginnings and the ends of our lives. He isn't only concerned about our eternal salvation. He doesn't just look at you and say, boy, I just hope I'm just going to make sure that that person, that you get to heaven. I don't care about life here on earth. I just want you to get to heaven. That's not how God works. God cares deeply about our lives every day right here in this world. He wants to transform these lives. And so Jesus' arrival here on this earth that we celebrate at Christmas should echo, it needs to echo right through our daily lives and transform how we live and our attitudes and our perspectives and our actions. Now, if you read through the Gospels, we, we, we get to have chapter upon chapter upon chapter about how Jesus lived his life. 
What we don't know a lot about is how he grew up. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Take out your Bibles if you haven't already. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Last week, we started in the middle of Luke chapter 2 with, with the message that Simeon delivered to Mary in the courtyard. Right? Jesus was just eight days old. Remember, he's just this little baby yet. And, and they take him, Mary and Joseph take him when he's eight days old to the temple. And Simeon, this older man, grabs a hold of Jesus and he sings his praises. Because God has revealed to him that this is the one. This is the salvation. This is the child. And after that, that odd and exhilarating encounter for Mary and Joseph, verse 39 of chapter 2 tells us, that Mary and Joseph took Jesus, their eight-day-old baby, and they returned up north to Nazareth, their home. Then it's interesting that in verse 40, 12 years of Jesus' life are summarized in one verse. Here's what it says. It says, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And just like that, Jesus is 12 years old. Eight days to 12 years in one verse. And he moves, he moves to, to the next story where, where Jesus is this 12-year-old boy in the temple and, and, and they come to Jerusalem, right, the whole family, to celebrate the Passover. Mary and Joseph head off and go home with everybody else, with the whole crowd of pilgrims. Jesus stays behind, unbeknownst to his parents. Scares the pants off of them when they find out he's not with them. Right? But they find him in the temple teaching the teachers preaching to the preachers, just wowing them with his knowledge. And, and it says at the end of that story that again, Mary and Joseph rush back to Jerusalem. They find their son Jesus and, and they grab a hold of him again and they take him back home to Nazareth again. They make that trip up north again. And then comes verse 52. And it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. There's another 18 years right there in that one verse. Because the next time we see him, he's 30 years old. That's all we get of his growing up years. What happens to Jesus from, from the time that he's eight days old until he's 30 years old? Well, we often just skip past verse 40, skip past verse 52. But they give us an important insight about Jesus' growing up life, about our lives. You see, these two quick verses show us Jesus being prepared for life, preparing for a life lived fully for God. And, and we need to recognize, as we look at these two verses this morning, that, that this is how we prepare our lives, how we need to follow the same patterns that we live lives that are for God. So we get ready to do that. This is how we raise our children so that they might live lives prepared for God, living for him. Because a transformed godly life will not naturally happen. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that as you grow older, year by year, you just naturally become more and more godly. In fact, the truth is exactly the opposite of that. Every single one of us is infected by the poison of sin from the very moment of our conception. And that means, as the catechism teaches us, that left to our own devices, if we just let that poison continue throughout our system, we will grow to hate God and hate our neighbors. 
Those are pretty strong words. But that's the truth. The poison of sin rushes through us. If we don't prepare at all, it will take over us. So we have to be intentional about how we live our lives. So active discipleship that we talk about here is really all about. We need to intentionally prepare ourselves. We need to put ourselves in a position where God's Holy Spirit can shape our lives for God rather than against God. To love God instead of hating God. To love people instead of hating people. And we need to prepare each other in this community. Be a community that that encourages and boosts each other in that path. We need to train our children. So at the start here, ask yourself, just think about your own life. How are you intentionally preparing to live each day for God? Are you doing anything? How are you intentionally counteracting the effects of poison, of sin in your life? Are you doing anything? Who's helping you to prepare for a life lived for God? Who are you helping to raise up and prepare for a life lived for God? You know, as Jesus moves from the manger to the cross, he shows us how to cultivate a life like that, a life like he lived for God. You have to remember, Jesus was born. He was born sinless. In that manger, he was born without the poison of sin like we have. But he still modeled for us what it looks like to prepare a life lived for God. He grew up just like the rest of us, right? He developed from an infant to a toddler, to a young child, to a young man, to a grown man. He learned to crawl and sit up and and walk and finally to run. He had to learn as a little baby how to eat and how to talk. He went through all that same development that we do. And at the same time, he modeled for us how to live for God and with God every step of our lives. What does it mean for us to live between the beginning and the end? What does it mean for us to live for God right here and now? Well, verse 40 and verse 52, those quick verses that we skip over, give us really a picture of of three-dimensional living for God, okay? Three-dimensional discipleship, three dimensions of our lives that, that Jesus experienced, that we are shown that and told that he experienced, and that we need to as well if we're going to live our lives for God in this in-between time. In the first one, verse 40 simply tells us that Jesus grew up. Verse 52 uses the word, says he grew in stature. means he grew up physically. It seems rather obvious, seems rather natural. That's what babies and kids do. They grow up. But I think he's talking about more than just Jesus physically getting taller and bigger. This this understanding of growing up that these verses point to includes a healthy maturing process. As Jesus grew up, he learned how how to prioritize life appropriately, how to put first things first and to discern what is most important and what is less important. Isn't that what maturity is really all about? Being able to put first things first and living out those first things? discerning what they are, ordering life appropriately. The Apostle Paul talked about that, 1 Corinthians 13. 
He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put those childish ways behind me. Okay, so Jesus goes through the same maturing process. He talked like a child, he thought like a child, he reasoned like a child, then he grew up and he talked like a man and he reasoned like a man and he thought like a man, like a man of God. This growing up, this maturing, is the first dimension of living a life well lived for God. And honestly, it sounds simple. It's a lot more difficult than most of us give give it credit for, especially for us in this culture. Prioritizing life appropriately, focusing on what is really important and making all these other things secondary, that's extremely difficult and many of us aren't doing so well with it. Our society empowers us, it empowers you, it empowers me to bring childish things and childish ways into our adult lives. It really empowers us to live immature lives if we choose to. I wrestle with it in my life all the time. Okay, how many times haven't I mentioned baseball from up here? How many times haven't I mentioned the Tigers? All the time, right? You know that I love the Tigers. But really sports, just as an example, is one of those things that our society tells us should be top priority in our lives, right? Should I really care that much that grown men can grab a bat and hit a baseball a long ways and run around these little bases? Should that be a big deal? It probably shouldn't be as big of a deal as I make it. Should we care that much that 18 to 22-year-olds can play football well? Should, should I care that much that 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 my children, should, should my top priority in my children's lives, investing time and money, be that they become the best one ever at kicking the soccer ball? Probably not, right? There's an appropriate place in our lives, in our kids' lives for sports. I'm not gonna give up the Tigers, I'll confess that. But I can't let it become number one, right? That place is secondary. It's not even close to a top priority. And neither is I'll pick on all your hobbies, right? Neither is traveling or home decorating or music or shopping or making more money or improving your golf game or, or whatever hobby it is that pulls at your heart and, and society says that can be your top priority. I need to mature. I need to put childish ways in their appropriate place if I'm going to live a life that truly honors God. I need to care about the things that God cares about. I need to be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. And I need to help my children do the same thing. That means prioritizing service over sports. Prioritizing worship over work. Prioritizing justice over comfort. Prioritizing grace over judgment prioritizing God's kingdom over my kingdom. That's what Jesus did as he matured. Remember, he faced the very same temptations we did. The priorities of this world fought for his attention just like they fight for ours. And Jesus consistently prioritized the things of God above all else. So when you look at your calendar, reflect on last month's calendar. Look through the boxes sometime. 
The things that you have time for and you make time for tell you where your priorities are set. Look at your monthly expenses from the last month. The things that you spend your money on identify where your priorities are set. Look at your Facebook page. The things that you comment on and you like most, those identify where your priorities are set. So Jesus says, Jesus shows us how to mature, how to grow up, how to put first things first and make sure that the things of God take priority. That's what it means to be mature. When something else takes priority over the things of God, that's what it means to be immature. You let childish ways take over. So Jesus says, first of all, he shows us, he models for us how to grow up physically, how to mature. The second dimension we see in Jesus' life is, is his mental growth. Right? There's an intellectual growth that shaped Jesus' life. He learned. He gained knowledge. He was smart. And read that story sometimes. 12-year-old Jesus sitting in the temple. He's wowing them with his intellect. It says that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus had great knowledge. But more importantly than that, he had great wisdom. Both verse 40 and 52 point out his wisdom. Said so he grew in wisdom. In other words, he knew how to use that knowledge for God's purposes. He knew how to use that knowledge in order to, to serve God's kingdom, in order to serve others rather than himself. Think about the stories you know in his life. So, so he's in the desert. And Satan tempts him. Jesus has memorized scripture. He knows scripture well enough that he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe in wisdom with the devil himself. Or Jesus standing with the crowd of people and in front of this whole crowd is the woman who is caught in adultery and they're ready to stone her. She deserves punishment. She, she needs grace. And in wisdom, Jesus knows exactly the right answer, the right question the right invitation to give. And so he says to the crowd, go ahead. If any of you is without sin, you be the first one to throw the stone. And they walk away. In wisdom, when, when Jesus is challenged by his enemies, he's able to speak the truth in love. In wisdom, when he's questioned by doubters, he's able to open their minds to the truth. With great wisdom, when he's hounded by the ignorance of his disciples, he's able to patiently teach them. And in great wisdom, when he's condemned by lies that he knows are false, he remains silent, adhering to God's plan. If we are going to live our lives like Jesus, the way that he modeled for us the way that God intends for us to live, then you and I need to grow in wisdom. We need to keep on learning. Yes, we need to know. We need to be in this word. We need to know it. We need to memorize it. We need to be in Bible study together. We need to sharpen our knowledge. And then at the same time, we need to learn how to use that knowledge wisely. We need to apply it to life well, speaking truth, but leading with love following the leading of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who turns our knowledge into wisdom as we live it out with graciousness and truth. 
So Jesus showed us how to grow up physically, how to mature, put first things first, God's things first. He showed us how to, how to grow up mentally, how to not just learn facts and know them as important as that is, but how to live in wisdom as well and apply it to life. And finally, that, that third dimension of living a life like Jesus, of growing up like he grew up, is to grow up relationally. And this is so important to us. Okay, verse 52 tells us that Jesus grew in favor with God and men. Okay, it's so tempting in our society, in our culture, in our lives. It's so tempting to, to settle back into the just me and God mode. It, all that really matters is me and God. Right? As long as I'm good with God, nothing else matters. It's expressed so often by people all around us who, who have no use for the church, who have no use for organized religion, right? They say, it's me and God. I don't need you, all of you. I don't need the church. I'm good with God. That's it. It's promoted more subtly by many of us who stay in the very fringes of the church. We put in our required time, right? And, but we refuse to dive deeper into what it means to have an honest and meaningful relationship with God and with each other. Right? This, this current me and God attitude, really it focuses exclusively on the beginning and the end. Right? It's the beginning and the end of the story. This life doesn't matter as long as I'm good for the next life. As long as I'm good with God, that I get to heaven, good enough. Well, this is one dimension where Jesus not only models something different for us, but he teaches something radically different for us in a very dramatic way. See, this is this, this growing in favor with God and men, this how we live our lives right here, was a cornerstone of Jesus' life and a cornerstone of Jesus' teaching. Remember at one point the Pharisees are gathered all around Jesus, the Pharisees who were, who were really his enemies out to get him, and they decide to try and trap him in a theological trap. These Pharisees had a book of 613 laws, 613 commands that they, that they watched everybody to make sure that they kept. And so they asked Jesus, which one of these commands is the greatest? They're trying to trap him. So if he ranked one over the other. He's going to sure to offend somebody, sure to get in trouble somehow. And instead of falling into the trap and, and picking on their 613 laws, Jesus summarizes characteristics of his own life. And he says to them, here it is, the greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, these great, this greatest commandment, grow up relationally. Grow in favor with God and grow in favor with men. Yes, being in relationship with God is vital. Okay, Me and God or us and God, it is vital. Knowing you're loved by God and loving him back, it will not only shape your, your eternal life, but it should shape your life here today. Right? Because it's God who designed you. It's God who created you. It's God who, who knows the best way for us to experience joy and peace and contentment that he designed us to experience. 
And so when we follow his direction in life, when we are in such relationship with him that we know his direction, that we listen to it, we hear his commands, life is good. It's what Jesus modeled for us as he lived in obedience. Now, it might not bring the kind of happiness that this world tells you is so important, but it will bring you true joy. The joy of being in the Father's plan. The joy of being in your Father's will. The joy of true victory that comes from Him. Okay? So when we live in favor with God, it shapes our life today. And we live in favor with men. It can't just be me and God. It's us as well. We live in favor with the people that God has invited us to share life with. We grow there. And as much as we love ourselves, Jesus says, we love each other. And as much as we care about ourselves, we care that much about others. As much as we work for justice for ourselves in the face of injustice done against us, we work for justice for those around us who are facing injustice. And as much as we desire that others give us forgiveness and grace, we give others forgiveness and grace. We grow in favor with God and each other. Can you imagine what our daily lives would look like if we lived in favor with everyone who shares our hallway at school? If we lived in favor with everybody who shares our office at work? If we lived in favor with everyone sharing Ivanrest Church as their church home? If we lived in favor with everyone in our neighborhood, with everyone in our world who desperately needs to experience the love of God, maybe felt through you and me. We grow in favor with God and men and women. So here at the very beginning, as we make our way towards Christmas, right? The start, the birth, the new beginning. We start by remembering the end, right? We, here at the Christmas manger, we remember the Good Friday cross and the empty tomb. But we also don't forget the middle. If we let the echo of God, if we let the echo of that manger reverberate through our lives, we'll realize that this daily life matters to God. Your life, day in, day out, matters to God. Every day, every place, we see Jesus. He shows us how to not only grow up, but he shows us how to live, filled by the Holy Spirit, transforming us, forgiving us. And when we let that Spirit grow us, when we mature in him, then we too will grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. We won't be perfect like Jesus was, not until we're totally remade in heaven forever. But we will become day in and day out a little bit more like Jesus every day. A little more, a little bit more like who God created and intends us to be. A little more alive than we've ever been. So let God's invitation from this manger echo into your life. His invitation is to grow up. To grow up just like Jesus did who didn't stay in the manger, but he grew up to be a man of God. Grow in maturity. 
Grow in wisdom. Grow in favor with God and men. And let Jesus show the way. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the echo of your daily life that sounds into our lives. We see you growing up. We see you leaving the manger and learning to walk, learning to talk. We see you as a boy learning all about life. We see you as a man living for God, and we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to be men and women who live lives the way that God designed and intended us to live. And you know how hard that is for us. You know how hard it is because we enjoy the immaturity of life. We enjoy putting our things first and our lives first rather than yours, God. Help us please to be able to prioritize well, to put first things first and let second things stay second. And Father, you know how much we need wisdom. Some of us have knowledge, but we don't have wisdom. Help us to apply what we know well to life, to let it shape us, to let it shape our relationships, to let it lead us in love and graciousness. And Father, you know the brokenness in our relationships, often our relationship with you, and you know the brokenness in our relationships with each other. Help us to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to grow healthy and strong in all of our relationships so that people will see you through us. They'll hear you through our words. They'll experience your love as we love them. Father, thank you that you care not only about our eternal destination, but thank you that you care about our daily lives right here, right now. Help us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Help us to grow up, to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please, and worship team, would you come forward? We're gonna sing one more song in response. We're gonna sing the song, Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And it's really our invitation to let God be with us, not just here in this place, in this world, but it's an invitation to let God be with you in your heart and in your life. God.